for real? Are we starting? I'm, yeah, yeah. I okay. Where's right. my flashing light? I'm Matthew Amster Burton. I'm Laura Lowe. And this is Hidden Jukebox, the show where we pick a great 90s album and see where it takes us. Embrace the senile genius. And today we're talking about Pavement's 1997 album, Bright in the Corners. So this album starts off with stereo and... Um, in preparing for this, I saw that there was some real efforts by the band to kind of tighten things and play together and be in the studio together. And um, I didn't know any of that at the time. But Yeah, me neither. But listening back on it, I think the production of it and um, the quality of the production, I guess, somebody that had produced some R.E.M., Yes, as Mitch Easter was was one of the producers on this album who's produced some of my favorite records. So I think that um, that's part of what I'm responding to in looking back on this with such a strong sense of wanting to keep coming back to that album. Um, and then at the time, hearing it and feeling like, oh, okay, I get pavement now. <laughs> That's I had the same experience. So, so you you were not already very I was into not pave- super, okay. All everyone I hung out with was, and I was like, yeah, I'm not sure. You okay. know, like I wasn't quite sure. Yeah, no, same same story for me. Like I think the first time I came across Pavement was in '94 uh, when Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain mm-hmm. came out, and I was going to uh, college in Southern California, and I had friends who were really obsessed with it, um, and it, I I. I guess my my criticism of it uh, that I would have said at the time was like these these guys didn't seem to really care about anything, and I was I was you know a, a sophomore in college and cared about everything. <laughs> For me, it was that I didn't think that they like had a good editing of themselves. That too, yeah. and so it seemed too too much a mess um, at the time. And, and then, and this is very, this is more cohesive. And so for me, this was like an entry into them. And then I fell in love with Crooked Rain. Yeah. Crooked Rain. So it, backwards. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, did you, do you have other bands like this where you, where you find that uh, there are, there's a group of people who are very serious fans of everything yes. the band does. And then the album that you love is, is like one of their least favorites. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. And I think it does often have to do with, I don't care if a band sells out. I oh, guess. Me, no, me neither. Right. And I think there's that sense of purity that people want to hold on to um, with their favorite band. If they've been there since the beginning, I saw them when there was 20 people in the audience. Right. And then, you know, um, I think about that with Wilco. Sure. And Wilco fans. I lived in Chicago before I lived in Seattle. And... You know, I love I love Sky Blue Sky and their later albums and, and, you know, where they're trying, there's some commercial appeal trying to happen. And I don't think that that's a bad thing. I think, um, and I think that we can hear that in this album, Bright in the Corners, is there's, there is kind of like an intentionality to have some hit singles. Yes. And I don't, I don't think that that's bad. I think that you come up with... Um, a certain like easy rocker tempo that like is very 
it's that comfort music. I think we had talked about this before about, you know, satisfying comfort food and then satisfying comfort music. And right. like this this album is that for me. Yeah, it is for me too. Like if, if selling out means uh, like tightening up your song structures and uh, using a better studio and hiring Mitch Easter, I'm all for exactly, selling out. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, so for me, I was thinking this, thinking about this uh, this morning, this idea of like, uh, I don't love the the albums that are all of the true fans' favorites. Um, uh, in, uh, with respect to two bands that I'm sure are going to appear on this show. Um, one was, I was listening to Tom Petty's Wildflowers this morning, which oh, is from 94. such a guilty pleasure. I love that it's record. So that is my favorite Tom Petty record. And yes, I understand why it would not be someone's favorite Tom Petty record, but I love it. Uh, and then the other one is Bad Religion. Um, my favorite Bad Religion album is Recipe for Hate. Wow. Which was their super commercial move. It's got Eddie Vedder on it. Wow. Um, I love that record so much. I'm blushing. I'm embarrassed for you <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> a little bit. But yes, um, the Tom Petty Wildflower. Oh, that album for me. We'll do that album. No. Yes. <laughs> so embarrassing. Okay, we can. Uh, but yeah, so so I think that you know, this was definitely an a, experience of, I experienced this album as... Um, hopeful and ironic and optimistic and then I read about it and I was like oh that that's not how the people felt that were involved in it right and that was kind of a shock too is is kind of the backstory of being on their fourth album and maybe being a little tired with the record industry or tired with this process and, right um you know we're gonna make almost like we're gonna make one more go of it and yes. see and see if this is the time that we do it the way this industry wants us to. And like, so that kind of makes me sad because I'm like, now when I listen to it going forward, I'm going to kind of have that in the back of my mind um, instead of, or in addition to all of the memories I have of like every road trip I've ever taken, this is definitely one of those albums that I listen to. And sometimes I listen to it on shuffle and yes. sometimes I listen oh, to it straight forward. Um, I don't always want to start off with stereo. So I'm glad you mentioned Shuffle because I feel like for me, and I don't know why this is, um, back when I mostly listened to physical CDs, Shuffle was my favorite way to listen to almost any record. And I've kind of fallen out of the habit of using it very much. And I don't know why. It's great. Yeah. I, um, I'm going to I'm going to tell myself to, to start shuffling again yeah, more often. Yeah, it's wonderful. And um, I think it's particularly for this album because it starts really high and then kind of goes low i wonder if i listened to this on a record where like the flip side would be oh that's a good question like, like if I'm this sure, was an actual record like i'm sure this was available probably is available on lp because there's a switch kind of halfway through it um in terms of the tone of it too um and in some of the interviews i read um with stephen malkmus there's there's that kind of reference to front loading it Yes. And, and not also not being sure if it was the right order for the kind of storytelling that he would want to do in an album structure. And um, so it's funny that this is the one of the albums that I listened to a lot on Shuffle. I felt like it was con that was confirmed for me when I read that he kind of maybe felt the same way, too. Yeah. Um, like, really, stereo should be like third or fourth. What, what, what should be first? 
Oh. So I'm going to guess here because it's a 12 song record, um, which for me, for me, like 10 or 12 songs is the most perfect length for an LP. Okay. Um, so assuming the break was between uh, tracks six and seven, that would be between Type Slowly and Embassy Row, which feels kind of odd to me. Yes. Like, I, I don't think Embassy Row doesn't feel like this, even though it's very, very up-tempo, it doesn't feel like these should start off a side. Definitely. Um, um, and Type Slowly seems like it could finish the album. Yes. I think that the... Oh, man, I'm trying to think of the song titles. Um, oh, so some of them I definitely had to look up also. Yeah. Yeah, this definitely... It's weird. I can, like, sing along with a lot of the words. Oh, yeah. This was still when I was, like, learning lyrics. I'm definitely at a point in my life where... It takes a lot for me to learn all the lyrics of your song. <laughs> yeah. But like, 97, I was 21. Have you have you ever like done the exercise of trying to figure out how many songs you can sing along with at least a good proportion of the lyrics? No. Because I did this once, and it, I think it's over 10,000. What? <laughs> That's amazing. I don't mean that to sound like a brag because that's an no, incredibly really wasteful waste of brain space. No, no, it's no. I'm I I want to hear a show where you sing some of them. <laughs> yes, um, let's let's have a show where I sing ten thousand songs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It'll be you know memorialized uh, you know for for years to come as the worst concert ever. <laughs> so old to begin. Let's start. Uh-huh. Let's hear that. Okay. Let's because I think most. Most people that are listening to this have heard the other ones. I would have started the album I yeah I can absolutely see that that's that's how I would start it and then I and then um and then maybe Shady Lane yeah I I was was gonna say that too yeah so um so old to begin is very it's very accessible yes it's very um there's 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 the the weird pavement parts later on in the song yeah, there's, there's like a part with like screaming, right? Like like <laughs> off mic screaming, kind of. Well, I was gonna say the the um, guitar, the guitar wankery that's yes. like out of tune and atonal and right. weird, weird and jazzy and 
One of my um, friends in Chicago who is a screamer in a hardcore screamo punk rock band. Oh, I, trying, I respect that so was much. trying to categorize the kind of music I like versus the kind of music he likes. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. <laughs> it was just, he just looked at me and he thought for a while and he's like, you like music that's kind of jazzy. Oh. So his, his insult of indie rock was that it's kind of jazzy. <laughs> huh, that's interesting. Because like, I would, I would describe it as almost the opposite in, right. in that like, there's there's such a focus on tight songwriting, which which feels to me like the opposite of jazz. I think he just means like the the kind of noodly guitar solos. Yeah, that's true. So I think that that was his way of insulting it, but I've always thought about that. But um, so yeah, so I really like that song, and that's how I would have started the album for sure. Um, um, yeah, so I um, I want to do stereo next. Okay. Um, I stereo was probably the first uh, uh, yeah it was it was definitely the first song from this record that I heard because and I did not hear it directly off the record I heard my friends um, Sammy and Herbert who lived next door to me um, in a uh, our, my our shitty apartment building on 10th Avenue East in Seattle uh, when the record came out in '97 uh, and they were obsessed with these the line about Getty Lee <laughs> so I will play through to that point great. Like at the drop of a hat, anytime Herbert and Sammy would like go into this duet of one of them saying, I know him and he does. Well, you're my fact checking cuz. <laughs> that it's so great because it's 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 such a real moment and there's something to me about at this point pavement are famous. Yeah. And they have fans, and they're well known, and there's probably people wondering about them. 
Yes. You know, what? what's Stephen Malkmus like in real life? And how does he talk? And, you know, it's just such a, like, meta, self-referential. Yeah. And also, like, at the time this came out, I don't, I mean, there was no YouTube yet. It would, it would not have been easy to find out what the voice of Getty Lee was actually true, like. true, <laughs> yes. And, and also... The fact that he's like, yeah, I know him. It's like, it, that's almost like saying like, yeah, you know, we rub elbows with them. Yeah. Which is... I don't know if that was true or not. It doesn't matter. Right. It's like giving that air of like, of like, oh yeah, totally like, yeah, we're, we're at that level. We're yeah. Out. So I think, I think this might be kind of why this was the first Pavement album to really work for me was that... Um, it uh, it marries like this sort of like two things that that I have trouble with but work well together on an album, which is this sort of wrestling with celebrity aspect mm-hmm. and kind of uh, you know a goofy like Beck style. We'll throw in any line that that comes comes into our head mm-hmm. uh, yes. kind of approach, and so the. They they tend to play off each other well, I think, in in this track in particular. Yes. Um, that uh, it doesn't it doesn't get too serious or I mean it's a very goofy song but uh, yes. uh, but somehow like w- why does this song work so well for me when normally I will I will like listen to a goofy song once and say okay I get the joke I, de- I don't because need because the to that songwriting again. is amazing yeah and the the sounds and I I the production yeah. Like the production of this album is so good. It's, it's really good. It's really good. It's good on my crappy little speakers. It's good on the headphones. It's good on my car. It's good in all the different environments that I listen to this album. Um, and maybe his voice is is way more out front than yes, in for sure. like Crooked Rain, Crooked Rain. So there's that. Uh, immediacy or that intimacy yeah um that's really good and also he just goes for it with those screams yeah and so if you're someone like we're both vocalists yeah like i studied opera and you studied rock bon jovi yeah singing. basically i don't know i i, had, I don't really i want to know more about that <laughs> okay i cannot the, sing the, like bon jovi okay well you said something yes but but and, yes but i but Bon Jovi and I had the same vocal coach for what? a short time. Okay, so basically, I think there's that too. Is like, wow, I really want to just like go for it when no one's around and sing like that ridiculously and not worry how I sound. And yeah, no, I remember um, working with my my uh, the voice teacher that I worked with for the longest time, uh, Thomas Corso of the hard hard rock band Graffiti Wall, San Bernardino, California. Uh, and uh, like wanting me coming in, wanting to be able to scream like that and not knowing how to do it. I'm still not very good at it, but I remember him like walking me through like, you know, that it sounds like this is a very intense style of singing, but it's actually the most relaxed style. And if you can't learn to like relax the necessary muscles, uh, all you're going to do is hurt yourself and it won't sound good. Wow. That's <laughs> Which, r- I There's still some find like really deep metaphors about know, real life right? right there. Yeah. That's like some... That's some like Zen Zen punk rock. Yeah, he was great singing. What other songs did you want to talk about? Uh, I want to talk about uh, the next two songs, tracks two and three, "Shady Lane" and "Transport Is Arranged." Okay, um, let's do "Shady Lane" first. Blind date with the chancer, we had oysters and dry lancers, and the check when it arrived, we went touch, 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 a redder shade of neck. 
not the end of the song. <laughs> but it could be. So so that song is is happy and ironic and you know, playful and super referential to like maybe like Paul Westerberg yeah. or like something very um you know, it's bass driven, so there's that like nirvana-ness to it. Yeah. And then um it's almost to me it almost says like Okay, we're we're selling out as hard as we can sell out. I hope you like this. And I we're do, gonna make I it as like fun it. as possible. And yeah, like, no, it's probably like the the most melodic track on the album to me. And uh, I I think it's kind of it's dangerous to to analyze pavement lyrics ever. But I think there there's like it's part of the song at least is sort of a, a skewed look at class relationships. Definitely. Um, and to to that end, it reminded me of this song, which I don't know if you know, um, uh, the song Chardonnay from Game Theory's Lolita Nation. No, uh, I'm going to play a little okay. of it because because I something about something about the uh, the lyrics and the and the instrumentation, like uh, one each one always reminds me of the other. Great. This song is from 1987, so it's illegal for me to play it on the show, but I'm going to do it. Woohoo! Anyway. I was feeling the way the the vocals are not similar. Also produced by Mitch Easter, oh, I just realized okay. as I was as I was putting it on. Okay. So that would explain some of it. Um, I, I, the, I think why why I always think of them together is they're both sort of like uh, this uh, outsider looking in on on like the privileged class and wondering like, do I want that or not? Mm, yeah, that's great. And also, this was this was also I think this was. Um, on a mix that someone made for me in college. That makes sense. <laughs> and uh, as so often is the case, um, a lot of the music that I listen to is because some boy made me a mix. Sure. And then, yeah, I think this was on it. Um, but I'm not sure what message that sends on a mixtape. Like, oh. I, I want to settle down on a shady lane with you. Like, is it that obvious? Like, you know, what, what are... Is it this is just a good song that I like and it seems kind of like romantic? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I thought I thought the song like the message of any song you put on a mixtape is either um maybe you'll think I'm cool because I because I like this song or it's a romantic song about how we should be together. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe just not actually listening to what the message of the song is but thinking right. like let's walk down a shady lane together. That's not exactly what the song is saying. No. Um yeah, putting those two one and two stereo and shady lane, it's just like you just spent all your energy yeah. up front. It just seems um it also is setting you up for an album that the al- rest of the album isn't. 
Yeah. And so I think those are two confusing things because the the other the rest of the album is kind of like more psychedelic and more meandery and um some of the songs are longer. There's like two five minute songs later yeah. on and yeah, so it's not so kind of the if you're trying to get new fans, um and they were listening to the whole album, they might yeah, but I mean, don't you hook new fans by, uh, Maybe. by putting out like, uh, you know, hey, listen to these two. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Uh, should, we, should we listen to Transport as Arranged? Yes. You better find your way out. You better learn how to run. You better walk away and leave the angles for the shells. Well, I've been thinking for days about the Sing, he couldn't teach me to love all the above. Easy talking, border blocking, transport is a I, I didn't notice until just now that two songs in a row, you get to a point about one minute in where the song could have ended there. And the other thing that we're missing out on all these songs is the epic, gorgeous guitar solos that we're not hearing that all come later that like are so, just like so pavement and so like, like the the guitar solos and pavement are like why I keep going back to it. So we see if we later. can find the guitar like, solo in this? Like, I know we didn't like mark it all ahead of time, but the if, just certain certain of these songs are it's such a payoff. It's like the the layering happens, and then you get to this like yeah, you know, like I don't the word it's not necessarily psychedelic freakout, but like you know, like kind of like a the jazzy part, yeah, the, the <laughs> jam. I mean, the, I think yes. the term jam has yes. sort of been oh, co opted, right? Yes, but, painful, <laughs> but that is what it is, right? No. Well, especially, I didn't know, so this was an album where they rehearsed for 10 days and they went into the studio, and I guess they hadn't done that before that. So it sounds like their style of recording up to this point was like a jam and just seeing yeah. what comes out. Um, so, so yes, I guess jam is the right word. Um, okay, I want to I wanna, uh, put forth a completely insane theory based on this song. Okay. Um, so, like I said, this album was 1997. Um, based mostly just on this song, Transport is Arranged. I feel like Pavement sort of almost could have written OK Computer, but mm. they were too silly to do it. Mm. Because this this song, both both in terms of melody and like the, the sort of like technocracy themes that it explores, is super OK Computer. Go to the end of the song. OK. Or middle end or whatever. Uh, let's try it from here. <laughs> See what I mean? Yeah. 
and even uses the word the term grammar police, which sounds a lot like karma police. <laughs> I think I think you're making connections that are just no. It's all know, in my head. It's great. <laughs> Gen X folks never do that, right? We we never make ridiculous like musical connections. Um, so so I think that so yes yeah, so this was this was where I got into pavement, and then re looked at everything else. Uh huh. Um, which was. I was really glad that happened. So in that way, I guess this album accomplished its goal of reaching kind of a more mainstream listener. Yeah, and I think this probably was their their best performing album up to this point. Yeah. Almost certainly. The something I read back, I mean, we're in about 10 years ago said said it still hadn't gone gold or something and oh so they they still like hadn't really sold that many albums yeah. everyone go out and buy it wait so it still now hasn't gone gold i don't know, oh, I, don't no. know. I haven't i haven't yeah it had <laughs> like 20 years later it hadn't so oh, i don't know oh that seems that seems sad and impossible but yeah. i believe you yeah um so so later on in the album there's none of those that kind of stand out for me and, i agree and, and i I I um except for Embassy Row, I really like. Okay. I would say what happens for me, maybe this is why I listen to it on shuffle. Um Yeah. And and then also a lot of times I'm listening to it like on a road trip. And so it doesn't matter to me that kind of like the end of the album kind of is its own thing because it's just I'm just kind of like zoned out and driving. Um but let's see. Okay. Well, I mean, we have to we have to get into possibly a controversial question, which is, what do you think of the the Scott Canberg Spiral Stairs tracks, uh, "Date with IKEA" and "Passat Dream"? It's fine. <laughs> they're good. I mean, I disagree. They're good. Um, they're not. Uh, I don't know. I take this album within itself. Yeah. And and. I don't know. They're they're they have personality. Um, yeah, they do. They do have personality, but they they grade on me a lot. Really? Um, yeah, I think. Uh, I guess I guess it's his voice, but also like they they don't have like the dynamics of of the other songs. I don't think. Um, in in general, though, I I think I have an unfair prejudice against when. Uh, there's like one person in a band who does most of the songwriting and or singing and someone else who shows up occasionally. And I'm like, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm the opposite. Interesting. Okay. I'm always like, to me, I'm like, oh, this could be like a spinoff band or right. someone's career. Or like, I feel like it's generous for the main person to like give that person like to share the spotlight with yeah. them. So I see it as like... um, um yeah, I guess I see it as like a generous, a gener- generosity thing, like charity, yeah. band charity. I, I guess for me, it depends on like how well the songs mesh. Oh, I like, like when it's just totally okay. like you're like, what just happened right now? So, so you like like the the Dan Behar songs on a new pornographer's album, or sure. like the Stevie yeah. Stevie Jackson yeah, songs like on happened? a Bell and Sebastian? Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joseph was walking. <laughs> like exactly. that's like the most yes. glaring example. <laughs> that you're just like, what the hell is. is this doing this album? And you're just like, okay, yeah, we that happened. <laughs> no, I think it's great to me. So I guess I've been in three not successful bands. And sometimes you're just in practice 
and you have your main person that does all the songwriting or whatever. Right. And they're like an hour late. <laughs> and what are you going to do yeah, for an okay. hour? And, and the fair. drummer's like, oh, I wrote this song like when I was like 16. And like all of a sudden you're like, I didn't even know this drummer could sing. And you're like jamming and then like, you know, and then finally. Boom, you're Foo Fighters. <laughs> Ooh. And then, listen, hometown. <laughs> okay, that'll be, that'll be another no, different discussion. No, no. Um, so, yeah. So, I think to me it's like a little window into like their little band family or their band community. Like these are these are some of the things that might happen when you're in a band. Is, is yeah, that's true. And and it doesn't have to to match. I guess I don't mind it. Okay, well, uh, we, we should, should listen, we should listen to, to one of those. So, so in case there's someone with Ikea. listening to this podcast who isn't familiar with Brighton the Quarters, which seems very unlikely, let's let's listen to some of Date with Ikea. Are you about to listen to a bird song? Yeah, or, or the laws. Is like a Weezer song. It's good. It's like your fists are in the air. Okay, I do like that little guitar lick that, so, uh, that represents the that missile song, launcher. How can you not like that song? It's okay. It, see now, I like it it's more fuzzy. since it's been a couple minutes since we listened to the last song. I just want, I just want some more breathing room. That makes sense. I guess. Um, yeah, I like, I like the fuzzed out voice yep. and the the, I don't know, and it sounds super California to me. It does. Yeah, I, it's all good. Like I like when songs sound like California. Um. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Okay, let's uh, let's listen to a little of Embassy Row. Okay.
so uh, I yeah, I kind of want to keep the whole listen to the whole thing because like I I totally get what you're saying now. Like all of these songs, you kind of just have to listen to the whole song if you want to get all of the parts and what makes it good. I think all these songs, every single one of them, we can make like a chart of the band that it started. Yeah. So like, <laughs> okay, each what's of these, this one? Uh, oh, I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to say. I want to let people. I want to okay. like let people do that. Like yeah. choose your own adventure for themselves. But, but like, I think this one started three bands because there's like three different songs in there that are all just uh, you know perfectly assembled. Right, but I, that, I guess that's the game I play with myself at this point when I listen to Pavement. Is which bands thought like, oh, I want to sound like that. Yeah, and um, and branched off and and um, um, you you know, there's. I mean, this was this was contemporary, but there's there's almost some like modest mouse in the chorus there. Um, the the did you catch the the extremely quiet drumming at the beginning of this? No. Oh, okay. I, I want to start start this again. <laughs> like I I did not notice this until listening on the headphones just now. But you there's so much going on in that intro. Okay. Oops. Might have to turn the volume up. It's extremely quiet. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. The build up. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the the production on this album is unreal. I it's mean, you beautiful. can hear everything going on in that room like yeah. in a good way. Yeah, no. It's um Yeah, this listening to this makes me want to be in more bands. Yeah. For sure. Me too. Um. Oh, nostalgia. I feel. I feel like I'm too old to to deal with all of the stuff in between the fun parts of being in a band. Definitely, you need to find some like Sunday afternoon bar that'll just let you like play. Yeah. Every or Sunday. just do more karaoke. True. Um. I I don't know if you can ever find a pavement song at karaoke. It would be if, great if you could. If folks are listening to this, I have some friends that are music snobs of this time period and are horrified that this is what we're choosing to highlight. Oh, be, because the wrong pavement album? It's the or, wrong pavement okay. album. Yeah. So I think we should address that head on. Oh, yeah. No, um, I think we I think we already owned that. Okay. But just... We're to, selling out, too. Yes. Our podcast is selling okay, out great. on episode just one. As long as people know that, that if you consider yourself uh, someone that always wanted to listen to pavement, go go listen to the rest of it. Yeah, uh, of course. So, just, um, and we'll, you know, we can address those albums on future episodes. I think we probably need to do all of the Pavement albums. All of them. <laughs> yes. Um, Stephen Malcolmus and the Jicks as well. Uh, oh, for sure. Um, um, I think actually Terror Twilight is probably my number one favorite Pavement album. And weird. Yeah. <laughs> Very strange. I love it. Because um, oh, it gets to be yours. I guess that might be it. You get that, to, that's definitely you, part of you it. You get to yeah. brag and be like, I like this weird yeah, one. Yeah, I like that. I like the one that nobody likes. I'm that cool. That, that's probably part of it. But also, there are just some really, really good songs on there. Um, one thing I want to be sure to mention, just because it's vaguely uh, pavement related. Are you familiar with the Gary Young song, Plant Man? No, play it. Uh, okay. Find it. Oh, it's it's not even on Spotify. I bet it's on YouTube though. Um, so Gary, oh, yeah, 
Gary Young was the original drummer for Pavement who was uh, fired pretty early on because he was uh, impossible to deal with. Um, and uh, Drummers. That they're often impossible. Yeah. So, and then a few years later, so let's see, when would this have been? Um, Man knows that the plans. Okay, here we go. Man knows that the plants will grow. Man knows that the plants will grow. Plant I'm making a very strange face right now. Okay, so this song, this, song, this video was played on MTV a few times and okay. is often called the worst video ever to air on MTV. Oh, okay. Um, so we'll we'll link to it in the show notes. Okay. Um, it's uh, it has to be seen to be believed. Plant man. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think that that when you connect us to other things I was listening to at the time. This definitely paved the way for so my brain. Oh, that was not intentional. Um, for my brain to accept other things like OK Computer yeah. and uh, Kid A and yeah. and like accept that songs could take certain directions. Yeah. Um, and the thing that came before this that prepared me for this was probably Beck. Yeah, that makes sense. Like. Who who then went on to produce uh, Stephen Malkmus and the Jicks album? Okay, yeah. So it all makes sense. Yeah. So so I think that these are, you know, the journey that our generation went on together musically. You know what came yeah, right before sure. this and what came after, and um, and then festival lineups. So so oh, much yes. of it is is you know. I don't know if I ever saw a pavement. I saw them once at the uh, Paramount in Seattle, probably on tour for this album. Okay. Um, and it was not a great show. Yeah, I I saw yeah Steve Malkmus and the Jicks, and it was okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's kind of unusual for me too, because a lot of the music that I like look back fondly on, it's because I have those in person experience yeah. and memories but not this band yeah same here um i did once um this is like a nothing story but uh, i was once at a uh, the minders and elf power show at uh, chop suey which was then called the break room i think this would have been 99 and uh stephen malkmus was manning the merch table and it was one of those things where everyone was like could that be Stephen Malkmus like selling T-shirts over there? No, that wouldn't make any sense, but it definitely was. That's a great story. <laughs> because um, like the the connection was that uh, uh, Joanna Bolm, who uh, uh, was in the Minders, then is uh, is also in the Jicks. Yes, that's great. Um, why not? Again, like that. There's a humility there, like the humility yep. of turning over some of your songs on your album to other people in the band. And of selling shirts and stickers. Yeah, why not? Um, so yeah, so Plant Man. I'm still like st- yeah, I'm yeah, still yeah. like wanting to rush off and watch that video. Okay, well, we'll I'm, uh, I'm every we, everyone can do that now because I think this is the end of the show. Yes. Uh, so what do you think we should do next time? Should we do Emperor Tomato Ketchup next time? Yes. Maybe okay. find maybe find a guest for that. Okay. We're gonna find a guest to come speak on that as well. Okay. Sounds good. Or if we or if we find a guest who who is dying to talk about something else, maybe we'll do something else. It's a mystery. We'll, 
What what is the name of this show again? A hidden jukebox. Okay, it's a hidden jukebox. Right now it's hidden from ourselves. Right, exactly. We're, we're, it's we're, it's, it's a, we're leaving everyone hanging. Uh huh. It's mysterious. <laughs> That's that is the the tagline for our show. What is the name of this show again? <laughs> Awesome. Um, so if you if you forget the name of this show, um, I was going to say go to hiddenjukebox.com, which is a domain name that I'm going to buy if no one gets to it in the next 10, 10 minutes. But if you forget the name of the show, you also will have forgotten the domain name, so that won't help. Um, and, uh, you know, until next time, find us at the merch table. I'm Matthew Amster-Burton. I'm Laura Lowe. <laughs>